0: Hi, I'm Mark Chavez. I'm one of the hosts of Let's Make A, a comedy docu-series podcast about the creative process. Each season, my co-hosts, Ryan Beal, Maddie Kelly, and I, take on an artistic challenge and you follow our journey. In Let's Make A Sci-Fi, we wrote a science fiction TV pilot. In Let's Make A Rom-Com, we wrote a romantic comedy film. And on our latest season, Let's Make A Horror, we produced a horror short film. And when we run into trouble, we interview Hollywood experts people who have worked on big things like the Blair Witch Project, The Office, Star Wars, Mamma Mia, and more. All three seasons of Let's Make-A are available now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Peter Berg, the creator of the hit TV show Friday Night Lights, is back with his latest series, Painkiller, which is a wrenching and relentless look at the opioid crisis and Purdue Pharma, the makers of OxyContin. He breaks down the path from drugs made in labs to marketers to doctors to patients, and he'll tell you why he decided to feature actual testimonials from overdose victims' families in the series. That's coming up. I'm Tom Power. You are listening to Q. So um, I think the best um, entertainment right now is stuff that is compelling and keeps you on the edge of your seats and is very bingeable, but is also telling you an important story, something you should know about for our like wider world and our, our wider society. This is Peter Berg's sweet spot. The actor, writer, and director has made his name reflecting true stories through films like Patriot's Day, Deepwater Horizon, Lone Survivor. Uh, his TV show, Friday Night Lights, is one of my favorites. I've watched the whole thing in like a, a month and a half. But in his new series, Peter Burke has done something he's never done before. He's taken on the opioid crisis, specifically how the drug company Purdue manipulated its power to push the highly addictive OxyContin onto unsuspecting patients. It's called Painkiller. It follows the Sackler family, the marketing they did to doctors who would then be coerced into prescribing more OxyContin at higher doses, the lives of people who ended up dependent on these pills. And like I said, a compelling narrative all about the epidemic that has now claimed over half a million lives. Peter Berg joined me from Los Angeles to talk about it the day after the show had claimed the number one spot on Netflix. Now, heads up, though, if someone in your own life has suffered from opioid addiction or if you have yourself, I just want to let you know we talk a lot about the opioid crisis. Here's my conversation with Peter Berg.
1: Peter, how are you? I'm good, Tom. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a, it's a pleasure to have you. I, I, I know, um, because this was shot in Toronto, I know y- you were waiting a, a while to put this one out. You've been waiting a long time to release it. And then I see that it's the most watched show on, on Netflix right now. Was there any relief with seeing that reaction?
1: Uh, it always feels good when people watch what you do. I mean, that's why we do it. So um, I, I I was confident that our show would find an audience. Um, <clears throat> I was maybe a little surprised at how big of an audience it found so quickly. Um, very happy. Um, so I don't know that it's relief, but it's there's certainly uh, a, a feeling of satisfaction amongst uh, you know, not just me, but everybody involved in and making a painkiller. What, what, what do you
0: account for it? Do you think it's, I mean, obviously the quality of the acting and the quality of the storytelling, but I mean, could it also be just how many people in Canada and the United States are affected by a story like this?
1: I think so. I mean, when when I um, was first approached by a gentleman named Eric Newman, who's our executive producer, who kind of put this thing together And he asked me if I wanted to get involved with a show that, you know, takes on Purdue Pharma, the Sackler family, and deals with the opioid epidemic. Um, I immediately started thinking about how many people I knew had had died uh, from opioids. And uh, for me, I got over 10 fingers very quickly, you know, and that included some real musical heroes of mine, like Chris Cornell Tom Petty, and probably my biggest musical uh, hero was Prince. And you know, all three of those men died uh, as a result of opioids. So I think when something about an issue like opioid, uh, the opioid epidemic is presented, and if, if people like it or respond well to it, there's going to be a real interest.
0: I felt um, angry watching it and when i was reading the reviews i i saw the word anger come up a lot did you feel angry making it
1: i did you know i think the more i learned about this company purdue pharma and their leader richard sackler and how basically he came up with a plan to take what is essentially heroin and put it into a little pill and have doctors manipulate doctors into prescribing it to a million plus, two million, three million people, knowing how addictive it was um, and not caring as they just racked up so much money, uh, angered me. And I think, um, you know, angered everybody involved with, with the show angered the writers, angered the actors, angered the grips and the electricians and the people that make us our lunch. People were angry. Uh, and, you know, there wasn't a day that went by where some member of the crew wouldn't approach me at a kind of quiet moment and say, hey, can I talk to you for a sec?" and then tell me the story of their loved one who died of oh, wow. uh, of opioids. Um, and so there was a sense of focus, purpose, and and I would say a fair amount of anger uh, that, that we did apply to the creative process.
0: How was the experience of bringing the... Real, real people in. I, I should say for people who haven't seen um, the this, this show yet, uh, even though the show, as you mentioned, is about the, the Sackler family and the, and the lives that have been affected by the opioid crisis, every episode starts with, right off the bat, a, a real person often holding a picture of a, of a real loved one that they, they lost to, to opioids and they tell the story and they say things like, you know, this, you know, they sort of give a legal disclaimer and they say, but what's not fictional is what happened to my son or to my daughter or to my family member.
1: What wasn't fictionalized is that my son, at the age of 15, was prescribed OxyContin. He lived in years and years of addiction. And at the age of 32, he died all alone in the freezing cold in a gas station parking lot.
0: Tell me a little bit about why it was important to have those testimonies off the top, and also just like what it was like for you to to film them
1: right. so that that was born that that decision to to go with uh, real families was born from a conversation that I had with the um legal department of uh, Netflix, in which you know, as we're almost ready to release the show, they kind of told me that I had to put a disclaimer in front of every episode, which I've had to do before. and, I don't really generally have a problem doing that. It just kind of felt like in this case, to do that, to put a disclaimer up front, the standard disclaimer was to let the Sacklers and Purdue Pharma off the hook a bit in a a way that didn't sit with me, you know, sit right. And I was thinking about it. And right at that, it just popped into my head, the idea of what if we start with a a woman reading the disclaimer. She reads it as written, as legal says it must be. She then puts it down and says, "Okay, but but what is real?"
0: What did you say to them when you were with them?
1: Um, you know, we said that. I mean, it was so it was it was interesting because we didn't have to say much. They just started talking, and uh, there's a real desire. For anyone who's been through something as horrific as losing a child to OxyContin, there's a desire on the part of the parents to play, to fight back and to make sure as many people know who their ch- child was and what happened mm-hmm. and what role OxyContin had in that.
0: Uh, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, there wouldn't be anyone listening to this right now uh, across Canada or in the United States who who doesn't have someone in their lives if they haven't died of an opioid addiction or have... Uh, or, or an opioid overdose, or at least been affected by it. Um, and I think people are, are very familiar uh, with, with OxyContin. I think by now people are starting to become very familiar with Purdue. I mean, thanks to this show and and, and thanks to, I mean, uh, I think I first found out about it through Empire of Pain, that Patrick Radden Keefe book. But yes. still there are there are moments here where it's shocking, mm-hmm. man. You know, like the 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 cuddly toys of OxyContin, the way that young women were used to sort of um, – The way that doctors could be, like, seduced in some ways into prescribing or or tricked into prescribing or something like that. The more you prescribe, the more you'll help, Tim. Oh, we're on a first-name basis. I think so.
1: Let me think about it.
0: Do you want to think about it over lunch?
1: (sighs) Over lunch, when?
0: Now. Was there any part of the story that shocked you while you were researching it?
1: I think, in in general, as in Patrick's book that you're referring to, and Barry Meyer's book, uh, 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 Painkiller, really helped me understand and unpack the how of it all, how this group of, of individuals, the Sacklers, were able to come up with the idea to put heroin in the hands of millions of people, get it approved by the FDA. Use the advertising agency that they had bought, which is really a bizarre uh, concept, you know, that, that that creates a situation where you're basically treating heroin like a Big Mac or a Coca-Cola a product. And you're going to try and sell it like, you know, with conventional marketing tactics, like cute little stuffed Oxycontin pill plushies that parents can give to their children yeah. to play with. Yeah. And, you know, beautiful women that can go around. Uh, small towns all over the country, um, charming doctors, small town doctors to uh, to to sell. It was it it was a brilliant capitalistic uh, strategy. Um, i I knew of Sackler, you know as you say, I knew of the family, I knew Purdue. but I didn't realize quite how complex and maniacal their their plan was and how effective it was. and And that was something that you know we wanted to.
0: Presenting the show. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to my interview with the director Peter Berg. We're talking about his hit show Painkiller on Netflix. Pete, as he likes to be called, has a way of focusing in on the everyday small town American to shine a spotlight on some bigger, true historical events, tragedies or otherwise. I'm thinking the Deepwater Horizon spill, the Boston Marathon bombing, the Navy SEALs in Afghanistan, now the very real opioid crisis. So I asked him what attracts him to telling these real life stories.
1: Right. I mean, I've I've always been a fan of documentaries. When I was in college, I I wrote for my school newspaper and I used to do these kind of character profiles of people. I went to school in the Twin Cities in St. Paul, Minnesota, you know, and I would find various different people in our community and I would just kind of spend time um, with them uh, and then profile them, almost like from an anthropological perspective. I was very into like the realities of what people's lives were like. And I made a lot of documentaries and started making some scripted that was first not based upon real life. But um you know once once I got involved in I think probably Friday Night Lights was the first real story that I told, certainly that that had you know commercial success. And Part of that process for me was going to Austin, Texas, and embedding with a high school football team for a season, and I, you know, lived with this team and and was able to to learn so much and gather so much nuance and I don't know just for me inspiration because it was real and this this is a real culture and I I felt the power of you know in this in the case of FNL high school football on a community. Because <clears throat> I was really there, and that just worked out well for me.
0: Is that is that the trick? Like, is that is that the reason that I mean, I'm, this is something that maybe someone who studies your work would know more than you, your own work. But is that the trick to why these films and these TV shows seem to mean so much to people that and 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 others don't? Is it is it that level of research and not not even research that level of like living inside of it?
1: I mean, there's so many different um, types of filmmakers and that have, have been able to find ways of connecting with their audiences. And I think that, you know, whatever works for a filmmaker works, you know, I, I don't know that Quentin Tarantino, um, you know, experienced Pulp Fiction literally
0: right. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: he was able to, right. you know, do what he needs to do to, to find a way to get inspired and fired up and make, you know, really great films. Um, I don't know that Scorsese was, uh, um, was a mobster no, and, I, I you know, heard he
0: was I heard I heard that actually but I don't know if yeah, he lived
1: yeah. he was, <laughs> but you know he certainly knows how to connect to it uh and I'm not I'm not putting myself necessarily in that league or I'm not not putting myself in that league I'm just saying that every filmmaker has their own process and there's no right or wrong I think it's whatever feels true and authentic to that filmmaker and gets them you know with a with a gut full of passion when they wake up in the morning to go to work for you know fourteen hours, which is what you do on a phone set. Um, for me, having a connection to real people and having that to draw on has always uh, gotten gotten me going. Every man at some point in his life is gonna lose a battle. He's gonna fight and he's gonna lose. But what makes him a man? Is that in the midst of that battle, he does not lose himself. This game is not over. This battle is not over. So let's hear it one more time together. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go!
0: I was happy you mentioned Friday Night Lights earlier, not just because I'm a I'm a fan, and I'm sort of a new fan. I like in the past year, I think I I started watching it, and I watched the whole thing in like one month. And I mean, for people who don't know, Friday Night Lights, a, a film, and then a five season TV series. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, it was it's it's about a high school football in a small town in Texas, but it is also about systemic. Economic depression of small towns in America. I mean, the uh, you mentioned in Painkiller how much like strip mining and, and mountaintop mining, and, and you know these how how much um, small communities in rural America were affected by uh, by opiate the opiate crisis. And you know, Friday Night Lights was about the depression that those communities felt, and, and how high school football and high school footballers represented a, a kind of hope. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I saw a connection there.
1: Yes. Yes, for sure, and and you know I'm, I I tend to um, to be attracted to um, you know certain certain types of cultures, um, generally cultures that work, um, you know, some work meaning really get up and use their hands uh, and and um, you know live that kind of a life, whether it's Navy Seals or oil workers or first responders in the case of a uh, uh, Patriots Day. Um I'm, I'm, for whatever reasons, drawn to these kinds of cultures. Um, I find a lot of emotion and soul and texture uh, in, in these kinds of cultures. Um, and um, yes, fr- Friday Night Lights. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember whether we I think we did deal with opioids a bit. Yeah. Certainly dealt with addiction and Friday Night Lights. Um, you know, uh, the Friday Night Lights. What, what excited me and got me going was the book It started with a book before there was a series or a uh, film, an outstanding book written by Buzz Bissinger, who full disclosure happens to be my cousin, mm. but he wrote the book. And yes, it was a book about his time in Odessa, Texas with the uh, Odessa Permian football team, but it was so much more. It was a book about this community um, and how they're, the football sort of United and and stitched together academics uh and religion and family and community and and it was much more than a book about football and I think that um the opioid epidemic has certainly like you said injected itself into cities certainly but it started with small towns uh particularly on the east coast of of America, where it just got in and was so addictive and so disruptive that the folks, the men and the women of these communities, just couldn't couldn't withstand it. It it washed over them like a you know really evil virus um, and just destroyed these you know really I think important soulful beautiful communities and that is in FNL Friday Night Lights. And that the same communities are looked at in a much different way in uh, *Painkiller*.
0: Uh, another similarity is, is, of course, casting. Um, it was exciting to see you um, reconnect with Taylor Kitchen in *Painkiller*. For for those who don't know, Taylor Kitchen, you know, a, a Canadian actor uh, out of British Columbia. He played Tim Riggins on *Friday Night Lights*, um, um, a sort of, you know, amazing sort of hard scrabble bad boy football player um, and in Painkiller he plays a small town mechanic who gets addicted to Oxycontin after hurting his back.
1: Where are you at with the pain? I mean, uh, it's got to be like nine, nine and a half. I mean, it's shooting
0: up and it's not going anywhere. Okay. I can't sit and drive in the truck more than a minute <sighs> without just okay
1: moving. I always I have you. to just shift because it's, the, the pain is Blend. shooting I through my you. back. But you got to be smart. They say that people are starting to chop this stuff up it's the
0: fourth time you've worked together Uh, talk to me about that I suppose about that partnership about uh, about what you find in one another
1: no he just has really incriminating photos of me (laughs) Um, uh, yeah Kitsch is a he's a great Canadian Uh, he's a great guy I think he's an incredible actor and um, making movies is is a challenging experience, and you end up isolating with a group of people for 70 very intense days, give or take, uh, sometimes longer, and it's nice for me to know the people I'm getting involved with, Um, and, you know, I've worked with Mark Wahlberg many times, I've worked with Samuel Jackson several times, I've worked with Dwayne Johnson, and I've worked with Taylor Kitsch, and these are people that I know and have a good relationship with and, and have faith that... You know, when we get into the trenches at four in the morning when it's freezing cold and you're trying to do something special, I like knowing that that I I can I can rely on on the people I'm working with. So I tend to go back often to certain people, and Kitch is one of them. And you know, I knew he was right for the role just just on paper. He to play a you know, working class mechanic who gets caught up in this. This OxyContin nightmare. But I also know, and Keller's been quite public with it, that his sister battled an oxycontin addiction for many years. He took time off his career to help her get sober and kick it. And it was extremely painful and intense for, for the Kitsch family to go through an opioid addiction that that intensely. And I thought that Kitsch, and I, I knew that he would respond on a whole nother level to, to this character, the, to the chance of being in this show. And it would give him, you know, not that he needed it, but just extra firepower to, to connect. And, and I think it did.
0: The first part of my conversation with director Peter Berg, whose new series Painkiller is a scathing look at how the opioid crisis began. More with the director Peter Berg after this. Hi, I'm Jessie Cruikshank. Jesse Crookshank. Jessie Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Those little Purdue Malibu Barbies are doing the exact same thing. They are doing the exact same thing as every crack dealer in every corner in America, except they are getting rewarded for it, getting made rich off of it. And my brother is in a prison cell right now, rotting. What is the difference? They know they are killing people. They know it. That's the actor Uzo Aduba in a scene from the Netflix show Painkiller. It's a new series about the genesis Of the opioid crisis in America. My name is Tom Power. You're listening to Q, and you're in the middle of my conversation with Peter Berg, who directed Painkiller. You may know Peter's work because his work tends to portray, if not real people, then real events, like the first responders during the Boston Marathon bombing. That's a story he told in Patriots' Day. Or the families, coaches, and teachers in a crumbling Texas town who live and breathe high school football in Friday night lights. Peter is a writer, actor, and director. Uh, so, because of the actors and writer strikes, he was speaking to us in his role as director. But I wanted to get his take on the strikes that are happening. And if you haven't been following it, he encapsulated what's at stake so well. Take a listen. It's nice to get a chance to talk to you about the show. But I also know you've been you've been talking a lot. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm also I'm guessing because none of the actors can really speak about it right now due to the ongoing SAG after a strike in the U.S um yeah. you're you're able to do this interview here because even though i mean you are the director of the film directors are not currently on strike in in the US but paint me a picture of, of of what this time has been like for you like promoting this show getting the show out there talking about the show in the midst, right. in the midst of this
1: so i feel first of all bad for for our cast you know particularly some of the younger cast members like Wes docov this is really her first role uh, i think she does such a great job in it she took it so seriously she worked really hard she she showed up and it means so much to her you know to have her first show and she's not allowed to talk about it and frankly i'm talking about it more than than i wanted to be or (laughs) expected to be um and uh in many ways i'm doing it for the cast so you know Dini Shabani and Wester Cuddon, who play the drug reps. Matthew Broderick, who plays Richard Sackler. Sackler. Uzo, who does an incredible job playing uh, Edie Flowers, who sort of the, holds the whole show together. Um, and and Taylor Kitsch uh, and so many others. Uh, you can just IMDb and look up our great cast. And I have it. It sucks, you know that that we're in this moment in our business um, that, that can't be worked out, you know, in an easier manner. It's a bit surprising to me. I, I was in day 100 of my, my new show, it's called American Primeval, when we were shut down with 20 days to go, and we had to lay off 1,200 people and send them home, uh, from, from New Mexico. And I know how real it is, and I know how many people are hurting. I know that, um, it's just a really bad situation uh that i am encouraging both sides to solve by getting in rooms and not coming out until it's worked out um and uh that's proving to be more difficult than i think any of us thought it would be no no, no one thought you know especially coming out of covid which shut our business down like like so many others but you know we finally got back and got back up and we're starting to get in a good run with films like Oppenheimer and Barbie doing so well, um, and then this uh, complete stoppage of work. Um, I don't like it. I I understand the issues. What I what I'm not clear on is the effort on on both sides to to sit in a room, lock the doors, and not come out till deals are made.
0: As someone who has both spent their life in the f- film and television industry and is also you know, studied corporations and, and motivations of, of corporations. What do you think's at stake here?
1: Well, I mean, the the, the contracts that SAG and, and um, uh, the WJ have been operating on, uh, operating under are old contracts, and they were set up back almost in the days when there were only four networks on television: ABC, CBS, NBC. Fox, maybe a little bit of HBO starting to pop up and there were movie theaters and movie studios and you released your movies in the studio or on a network. And when you released them, there was full transparency. You knew how well they were doing. You knew how much money they made either through ad sales on the networks or box office sales and DVD receipts from the movies. And that was sort of a game. Now, um that the streamers have all you know shown up and the streamers have done a lot of great things they've made a lot of shows and put a lot of people to work there's no question about that but they've changed the game and no one really knows what is what anything's worth anymore so you know a show like painkiller we hear that it's number one in the world and okay that's great and numbers are floated around but nobody really knows what that means right nobody the studio doesn't know what it means. Netflix doesn't quite know what it means.
0: Right, because when you were on Friday Night Lights and something did well, you knew the number. You knew how many viewers you, you had. You knew
1: exactly what the rating was yeah. and you knew how that was going to impact the advertisers and what that kind of money this, the networks were making off of these shows. And generally, you got paid accordingly. So if you were in a show that didn't do well, you didn't get any, you didn't share. In a, you know, that was it. All you got was your money. If you were in a show that really took off, And people were getting, you know, rich off of them making large amounts of money. You were included in that in the form of residual payments. And that was, you know, that was a big deal. And those, those days are gone. And that's what, you know, one of the big issues is that the guilds want more transparency. And the streamers like Netflix and Apple and Hulu and Amazon are not necessarily excited about doing that. I understand that. But they're has to be a compromise and you know like everyone else AI is an issue now and um, in the case of the writers they're very concerned because we're all starting to see AI programs that can actually write scripts not very good scripts um but it's early days and I think everyone in, in our business is like so many other businesses starting to get a little concerned about where this is going.
0: I think um, I, I appreciate your time, and I appreciate you talking about that. And I think you know between between painkiller and I guess even Deepwater Horizon and and, and now talking about the strike, it's 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 lovely to get your insight on um, I guess corporate motivation, if not if not corporate greed. Um, and uh, Peter, thanks so much for talking to me a little bit about painkiller, and 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 thanks for making the time for us
1: can you see me oh my
0: god is that you're holding up the oxycontin
1: that's an oxycontin plushie
0: where did you get that
1: um, I, well, I worked on a show called painkiller okay we made okay okay. We, okay gotcha we made about oh a it's a
0: prop okay I didn't I thought about, I thought someone might have sent you the real thing Peter you know no
1: that's a prop but there were real ones
0: that's a it's unbelievable um, thanks so much for the time
1: all right cheers Peter Berg
0: has been my guest his new series painkiller is out on Netflix that is it for the show today. Tomorrow on the show, uh, Shania Twain from Timmins, Ontario to Nashville, Tennessee. Her story, uh, even if you think you know it, is far more unbelievable than what's out there. And Shania Twain dropped by the studio to talk a little bit about it, what it's been like to be part of a documentary about her life. And we listen to a couple of her biggest songs. We'll see you then later on.